and good morning. Happy Mother's Day uh, to all of you moms out there. Uh, hope uh, your family makes it just an enjoyable day for you as you uh, celebrate this very uh, uh, special occasion. Uh, I was uh, sitting thinking this morning, for most of you, Mother's Day conjures up great memories. And it's a great day for you. For some, it's not as easy because of circumstances. And I, my wife and I, as we were sitting there, our hearts were drawn just to a lady this morning that we're very familiar with. And uh, her dad passed away this past year. He was 92, really special guy. And her son's in uh, prison today uh, for felonies that he committed that he deserves to be in prison. So Mother's Day for her is not so hot. And there's lots like that. When you come, for most, it's just a great day of celebration. For some, it's a very hard day to, to wrestle through. And, uh, but to all of you, we still wish you a happy Mother's Day. I want to share a few thoughts with you this morning, if I may, from uh, really the uh, proto-evangelism, the first gospel, uh, Genesis chapter 3. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the significance of women in redemptive history. You know, culture is always interesting. Beauty is defined by cultures. Uh, each culture has a little bit different slant on beauty, Thailand here, and uh, how they uh, view beauty. Other cultures look at it this way. Some, this is beauty. In certain cultures, people would look at that and say, that's great. We kind of look at it this way. This is maybe how we define it here in our country, but beauty is somewhat defined by cultures. I think this is beauty. I think when God created everything, he saved the best for last. When he created a woman, it was the final touch that he made on his creation. It's kind of like our houses, our homes. To me, my ha I live in my house, but my wife makes it a home. Uh, when people come over to our house, they, uh, she likes to show them, you want to see our home? And takes them around, and I always say, well, there's a bathroom, there's a toilet, there's a sink, there's a kitchen, there's, you know. But to her, it's a home. So a guy may gets a house, but a woman makes it a home. And I don't think when, when God created woman, he created the best of all his creation. And I think God's view of women is significant. And I think today, I hope today, as we look at the significance of women in redemptive history, you'll understand that God had a very special purpose and place in mind. I got a kick out of this. I thought I'd throw this up. Religious views of women. Kind of interesting to look at in our culture today. One culture says a nun can be covered from head to toe in order to devote herself to God, right? But it says, but then if a Muslim girl dresses this way, uh, why is she oppressed? That's interesting. I, I thought this, too. I thought if you go to the beaches of, uh, in the Arab countries today, you'd see this. Yeah? Kind of different than uh, going to our beaches today, isn't it? A little bit. Well, not if you lived in the 20s. If you lived in the 20s, there's uh, Ocean City, New Jersey, right there in the 20s. So interesting how we define beauty, isn't it? But the question is, how does God view women? 
And the question is, what does the Bible have to say about it? Give you a personal belief here. I believe that every husband ought to make sure that the wife is the most important and most significant person in the home. That's your job. It's my job. As a husband and as a dad, my job is simply this. She's the one. She's it. Because she makes this place special. We uh, got to participate yesterday and perform a wedding. And uh, last week we met with the bride and the groom as we were doing the prep for the wedding yesterday. And we looked at the, the girl. At the, we sat in a diner a couple weeks ago and we said, you're the focus. You're the focus of this whole day. You're going to be decked out. You're going to do your hair all up. And you're going to look beautiful. And I want you to know. Everywhere we go, wherever you are, I'll face you. I'll make this team, I'll teach them, you're the focus. That's how a wedding should be. The bride is the focus. And every dad and every husband here this morning that is doing your job, your wife is the focus. That's your task. That's what we do. And I think we do that. Because that's what God does. You see, in the Bible, women aren't second-class citizens. Men are. Women are the first-class citizens. And our responsibility is to take care of them. Our responsibility is to do everything we can to make their life better. Because that's what love is. Love is the commitment it's my willingness to sacrifice for your betterment. That's God's view of women. As we get into this, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, again, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the first gospel. It says this. I'll read it to you. I hope you can see it up here. There's three significant statements made in this verse that you need to understand. They're very important. This is the first time the gospel is presented in the Bible. And God comes and God speaks, and he says this in Genesis 3, verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent, remember? And then he makes a second statement. He says this, and I will put enmity between your offspring, Satan's offspring, and her, Eve's offspring. Second statement. And then he makes a third statement, and he says this, and he, her offspring, goes back to its nearest antecedent, right? Pronoun going back to its nearest one. He, her offspring, shall bruise your head, and you, Satan or the serpent, shall bruise his heel. This is the first time in the Bible that the gospel is clearly presented to us. And I want to take today, and I just want to walk through this with you and show you what God does in this passage. The textual idea is this. In this verse, God declares his plan to redeem what had been ruined by sin. That's what this text is about, and specifically, that's what this verse is about. As you get into it, as we develop today, what I'd like to communicate to you is simply this. From this verse, you can see how God was going to use women to bring about his redemptive plan for humanity. He did. 
You know, we could talk about a lot of women this morning. We could talk about Sarah. We could talk about Rebecca. We could talk about Rachel. We could talk about Rahab the harlot. We could talk about Esther. We could talk about Ruth. We could talk about Elizabeth. We could talk about Mary. The Bible is replete with women who have been a part of God's fulfilling his redemptive plan for his creation. What I want to say and hopefully can communicate today is God values women. I hope all of you that are here today, you women understand, God values women. There are no second-class, second-rate people in God's world. I hope you know that. Because there are religious systems that devalue women. There are places today across our world, if you're a young lady and a young girl living in certain countries, you don't get an education. You don't go to school. You're a second-class citizen. Not in God's kingdom, you're not. Not in God's kingdom. And not in God's view. God values women. I want you to see today three promises that he makes. First of all, God promises to redeem Eve. It's an interesting passage of Scripture. It starts out here. He says, I, that's God, will put enmity between you and the woman. He says that to Satan. That's a significant statement. What's he saying? Well, the context is simple. God had created Adam and Eve. They lived in the Garden of Eden. You know, as you've read the Bible, that God walked with them and God talked with them and they had perfect fellowship with God. In the garden, there was only one commandment. It's really interesting. In God's world, there's always commands. And in the garden, there was one command. And you have to realize that people, they couldn't keep one commandment. God said to them, see that tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Don't eat it. Guess what they did? It's, called, it's been called since that time the forbidden fruit principle. If you tell me what I shouldn't do, guess what's the first thing I want to do? Tell me I can't crawl over that fence, and guess what every kid wants to do? At least boys want to do. They're going to go crawl over that fence. And God said, you know, don't eat of that tree. The day you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And, of course, they ate of that tree. And when they ate of that tree, they instantly knew that something had changed. Because they began, they went out, they made themselves fig leaves, they made themselves clothing, they made an attempt to cover themselves in the eyes of God. So they knew they were guilty, and they knew they had sinned. But I want, if you can this morning, to put yourself in the mind of Eve. How would you like to be the lady that committed the very first sin? How would you like your sin to be recorded in the scriptures? And how would you like it if your sin was taught to every succeeding generation and that your sin was recorded in such a way that forever it's recorded in scripture? How do you think Eve felt? I wonder what Eve wrestled with. The disappointment? The insecurity? failure all of that and God in his goodness comes to Eve and says this Eve at one time we had 
harmony between God and Eve. And now because of the decision that she made to sin, that harmony was gone. And that fellowship was broken. And God comes to Eve and says, Eve, there may be enmity between you and me now, but I want you to know that I'm going to restore what was lost in the fall. And I am going to take and I am going to put the enmity between you, Eve, and Satan. That is a direct promise to redeem, to rescue Eve. And Adam is included in that. This is the promise of salvation to the first people that lived on planet Earth and sinned. It's kind of a neat thing that God says, I'm going to rescue you. You see, guys, when we come and talk about salvation and we talk about the gospel, isn't it, a, it is not a Savior pulling alongside of people that are not too bad and just kind of helping them help themselves through the situation. This is a Savior who pulls alongside of people that are totally depraved, totally lost, totally incapable of rescuing themselves and says, I will rescue you. I will save you. Eve, I'm going to put the enmity between you and Satan back where it's supposed to be. I will rescue you. If you read this text carefully, one of the things that you'll notice in here is that as in Genesis chapter 15, as God begins to lay out the consequences for the sin, he begins to talk about pain and childbirth to Eve, and he begins to talk to Adam about working by the sweat of your brow. But before he ever lays out the consequences of the sin and the consequences of their decision, he comes to them and lays out the plan of redemption and the rescue that he's going to give. So before consequences even comes grace. Eve, Eve, it's okay. I got you. I got you. How do you think Eve felt at that point? Okay. Eve learned to trust a Savior, just like every one of us in here today have to learn to trust a Savior. Because the one thing that none of us can give is perfection. We can't. I often think we put expectations on other believers that none of them can live up to. None of them was reading a little bit this week in the, in the book, How People Change, and it talks about our expectations and our reality. Our expectations are here. Reality is here. I expect this. Reality is can't deliver. Guess what, guys? It's okay. Because God's got us. He's got us. The second promise that he makes is God promises to redeem people throughout human history. One of the things that took place here that all of you understand is that now sin separated not only Adam and Eve, but separated the human race from God. All of us that are born today are born sinners. Now we're sinners by birth, and because of that, we become sinners by choice. All of us here are our parents didn't have to teach us how to sin. We knew that by nature. All of us in here knew how to sin by nature. It comes natural to us. All of it. What our parents had to teach us was not to steal, 
not to cheat, not to lie, not to do this, not to do that. Every parent in here, when you had children, you had to teach them not to do certain things because by nature, every one of us in here were born in sin, and because we were born in sin, we are sinners by nature. And there is enmity between God and mankind, all of mankind. And what God is laying out is saying this, as I look out into the future and as we look out over the course of time, and he says this to Eve, he says, Eve, he said, not only do I got you, but I want you to know that I got human history. I got it. And he says, I am going to take amongst mankind and down through the course of time, I am going to bring out a people back from enmity with God, back into harmony with God, and I am going to put enmity between human history and people in human history and Satan. And I am going to call out all through the course of time a people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, from every culture to myself. I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. Satan's offspring here is the world of unbelievers. Eve's offspring is the world of believers. Now watch something, because it's kind of interesting in this passage why he does this. He refers to the serpent, he refers to Satan's offspring as unbelievers, but instead of referring to it as God's offspring, he refers to the mother of all living, and he said, your offspring. What do you think he's doing for Eve? It's okay, Eve. I got you. I got you. The personal impact of this is really interesting because he says this to Eve. Your failure was not fatal. Your failure was not fatal. Eve, I got this. (laughs) I got this. And I'm going to take care of it. From time to time in our country, a terrorist goes into some place, and even in our world, a terrorist goes into some place and pulls a string and off goes a bomb. Or a terrorist walks in with weaponry and begins to unload, and the result is multiple people die. We've seen it in our own country in different places around our country. Terrorism is a constant threat that we live with. And it can happen, and none of us know when it happens, and nobody knows where it's going to happen. But every time it happens, there's always something that's said afterward that's always interesting. There may be 20 people die, there may be 30 people die, there may be 50 people die, but everybody will always make this statement, terrorists won't win. We won't back down to terrorism, right? You hear it all the time when the attack takes place. And what happened is this was a terroristic event that took place in the life of Adam and Eve. This is Satan invading, and this is Satan capturing, and this is Satan trying to kill. And there was a failure here that was a devastating failure, yes, but it's not fatal. And what God says is, Eve, Satan won't win. And in a very tender way, in a very kind way, God is communicating to Eve and to Satan and to all of us, Eve, it's okay. 
I got this. Because sometimes when we sin, we think our sin is a terrible failure. We think sometimes that our sin, you can't recover from this. Sometimes when we commit a sin, we think, how in the world was, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? What, what's going on here? This thing is more than I can. No, 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 no. God's got you. I had a friend in high school. He uh, was a quarterback at the, our rival school. We got to be friends over time. His dad was a uh, very much involved dad and very much involved in, and uh, got to know his dad and got to share the gospel with his dad one time on a couple occasions. actually got to share the gospel with his dad. He said something to me. He's the only person that ever said this to me. It kind of floored me. He said this, God can't save me. I'm too great a sinner. And he said, I deserve hell. And I'm going there. The only person that's ever said that to me in my life. And I just simply looked at him and said, no, there's no sinner too great for the grace of God. And there's no sin too big for the grace of God. And whatever your circumstances here today, whatever your past, and whatever baggage you bring today to this building, I want you to know this, that there's no sin that is greater than God's grace to heal it. And there's no sin that God can't take care of and say to you, I will rescue you, I will save you, I will redeem you, I got that. See why he says it to Eve? There's a, another promise in this passage that's critical. God promises a redeemer through a woman. This is interesting as well. He says in this passage, he, now he refers specifically to a male. In this passage, he refers to a male, and he says this, he shall bruise your head, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. It's a third promise here, and it is God saying this, I promise that I'm going to send a redeemer through a woman. So does God value women? <laughs> yeah, God values women. Because our Redeemer came through a woman. All of us in here have something in common. All of us. We all have a mother. We all have a father. The Redeemer has something unique from us. He has a mother. He was virgin born. You think God values women? You think women are significant in the course of human history? Yeah. This passage is really interesting. The context of it, it says, he will bruise your heel. The idea there is a minor wound to the heel. That's Christ. And then it says, but Christ shall crush your head. The picture here would be something like this. If we took here a, a pumpkin, which guys like to do, you take a pumpkin and just take the pumpkin and smash it down and watch it go to pieces. That's the picture is when he steps on your head, he's going to crush it. This is a reference to the cross because it's at the cross where Satan bruised the heel of Christ 
but where Christ crushed the head of Satan. And what God is saying to Eve is simply this. Eve, I am going to destroy the one who tempted you. I am going to wipe him out. I am going to crush him. I am going to annihilate him. But I want you to know that out of your seed, the mother of all living, is going to come a redeemer who is going to take that serpent and literally crush his head. This is a fascinating concept. But what he's saying is, Eve, I got this. I got this. You didn't lose, Eve. I'm going to take care of this for you. And I want you to know, as a woman, that you didn't wreck my plan. You didn't alter my plan. You're a part of my plan. And now, Eve, I want you to know that through your seed is going to come a Savior. That's an amazing promise. It's God's promise, if you would, here to redeem and to take care of Satan. I want to share something with you because I find this one of the passages of Scripture that's very difficult to understand. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it makes a statement that it pleased the Lord to bruise his son. And I often wondered, as a dad, how could it possibly please you to bruise your son. Well, my dad, whenever he had to bruise me, he always would say this. When I was time for as a little kid as a spanking, he always had one statement he always make, this hurts me more than it does you. And I'd always look up at my dad and say, seriously? No, no. no. And when I became a dad, I understood what he meant. But in the Bible, it makes a statement that it pleased the Lord to bruise the son. Isaiah 53, 10, you can look it up. And I thought, how is it possible for God the Father to say about the cross that it pleased God the Father to bruise God the Son on the cross? And I'll propose an answer. You can ponder it. Because the son's willingness to accept the role And the son's willingness to go through with Calvary showed the depth of the son's love for the father. And it also showed the depths of the son's love for those that he was going to redeem. That's us. Eve, I got this. It's okay, Eve. I got this. I got this. The snake is here snake gets cursed. He pictures Satan in the form of a snake. The snake, of course, at that time was told he's going to crawl on his belly. I was on our tractor the other day mowing uh, my lawn at home, and as we were going through, I had my little granddaughter on my lap. She loves to ride the tractor with me. Well, not as much as I love for her to ride the tractor with me. As we're going through the grass, it's kind of growing. It's growing right now, right? Your grass, like two or three times a week, you got to mow it because it's just growing like crazy right now, and it's as we're going, all of a sudden, about a three-foot gardener snake just takes off right out in front of us, and he's going as fast as he can go. I mean, he's just slithering because the grass is long, and he can't get traction, and he's gone. And we're like, hey, Desi, look, a snake. Oh, Pappy, let's get it. You get it. 
So we got off the tractor, and we walked up there, and we started going down that little snake. He turned around. He looked up. He coiled, and he's just hissing, and he's snapping away at us. And I'm like, I just don't feel like getting bit by a snake today. And I thought, that's a reminder for us every day. That Satan's cursed. That Satan's defeated. That Satan crawls on his belly and slithers and Satan eats dust. I love that. God says, eat dust. Dust is an interesting picture there because in the Bible, dust is a picture of death. From dust we came, to dust we shall return. And so Satan just deals in this concept of death all the time. And that's what he's interested in your life. If you follow him and you listen to him, he will always take you toward death. He will always take you toward ruin. He will always take you in a way that he will destroy your life. But God says, I got it. I'm going to crush him, Eve. It's okay. The first gospel. A promise to redeem Eve and Adam. A promise to redeem people throughout human history. And a promise to send a redeemer. Galatians chapter 4 says it this way. But when the right time came, God sent his son, notice, born of a woman. Women significant in God's redemptive program? Yeah, they are. Hebrews says it this way. Hebrews makes this observation. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have children. Sarah gets mentioned. This one's the one that gets us. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, you see, your prostitution, Rahab, your prostitution wasn't fatal. I got that. I got you. And he rescued the prostitute, and she became part, really, of our heritage as believers. Rahab, the harlot. Significant? Is a prostitute significant? In God's world. When God redeems, God takes us all. I love this. Second, First Timothy chapter 2, I'll quit with this. Makes this observation. Paul writes in a couple verses, he says, but women will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. What Timothy's talking about in the preceding verse, he talks about Eve sinning first. You can look it up in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's verse 14. It talks about Eve was deceived first. You see what happened at the garden because Eve was deceived. There's a stigma that's attached to that. Yeah, Eve was deceived. And all through human history, there's that deception, that deception, and down through the course of time as the story comes, Eve was deceived. And what Paul does in this passage of Scripture is tell how you live above that, how you live beyond that, and how God rescues, because he makes this statement in this passage of Scripture so interesting, but women will be saved through childbearing. Wow. So this passage saying when a woman has a child, she salvation takes place no what paul is teaching in this context is this god will even rescue women from the stigma that came as a result of the curse and he does that through childbearing if and assuming 
You live a life of faith, a life of love, a life of holiness, and a life of modesty. Here's what I want to close with. I want to close with your significance as moms in redemptive history. Your significance in human history is many times you are the one that introduces your kids to Christ. We stood down in the hallway just this past week and with a mom and dad, and they said to their little son, tell them what happened. And he said, I received Jesus this week as Savior. Mom and dad were pretty happy. That's what mom and dads do. They introduce little kids to Jesus. But for most of us here this morning, we were nurtured by a mom. This one kind of gets me. I've got an 85-year-old mom at home. We're going to leave this morning and rush over and have dinner with an 85-year-old mom. You want to hear what she just did recently? She just got involved in the church she's in. And the church she's in is involved in a sex slave recovery ministry. And so they're dealing with lots of girls who've been sexually abused pretty significantly. My mom was a dean of women at a Christian college for 10 years. And my mom dealt constantly with college girls who were sexually abused. She even had and went down to Chicago to a training center to receive special training in how to help women who are sexually abused. And so she goes to this class just recently and they start talking about sexual abuse and a couple of ladies say, how do you deal with that? And my mom said, I can help you with that. And so I got an 85-year-old mom teaching a bunch of young ladies right now how to help girls in the sex slave trade who are coming out and need help with how to recover from sexual abuse. And the message is this. If you've been sexually abused, God can take care of that. God can rescue you. I come home from school. You know how when kids come home from school, open the door, comes flying open, Mom! They just want to know you're there. She'd yell out, yeah. Second thing kids want to do when they come home, they want to hit the refrigerator. Right? Make their way right to the refrigerator. What's to eat? They want a snack. My mom would do this. She'd make cookies for us. She knew my brother and I were coming home. We'd get off the bus, we'd come in the house. and Come on, I got cookies for you, have a seat. And she'd sit there and serve us cookies. And mom, how's your day? Tell me about your day. Tell me what happened. I'm one of them kids that had a great dad. My dad taught me so much. My dad mentored me in ministry for 10 years of my life. I sat under him, taught me. But my mom nurtured me in the faith. My mom taught me, men, come at it from, hey, there's responsibility here. We got to take care of this responsibility. Women, let's bring a touch of love and care and concern. Women have the capacity to love that out exceeds a man's capacity to love a, a thousand to one. My capacity to love 
doesn't begin to compare to her capacity of love. Not even close. There isn't a mom in here that wouldn't lay down your life in an instant for any one of your kids, and you wouldn't even think about it. You just do. And moms, let me tell you the hardest parenting time. One to five, fun and easy. 12 to 18, a little challenging. Off to school, they go to college. 25 to 35, oh, baby. That's the toughest parenting time of all. Real life situations. I got a daughter that walked through divorce. The other night, youngest daughter was having pain in her side. Husband took her to urgent care. Urgent care said, get to the hospital. It's Friday night, Thursday night. So like, what, 10 o'clock at night? So they called my wife 10 o'clock at night and said, hey, we've got to dump the kids, grandkids. You don't dump the kids at our house. We love when the kids come to our house even if it's 10 o'clock at night. My wife sat up all night with the grandkids. She came back in the morning. They kept her all night in them until they got her in and looked her over. She's fine. No appendicitis. She got to take care of the grandkids. 11.30, the phone rings and says, hey, the water heater just broke. It's spilling water everywhere. What do I do? She said, I got two grandkids here and I got a water heater here. Took care of it amazingly. She said this to me. She said, water heater doesn't matter. Grandkids do. That's a mom. You know what a guy would have done? Got to get that water heater fixed. Right? Moms, you nurture. Please don't ever, as a mom, as a woman here today, please don't ever think that your life is not significant. Because I want, in God's eyes, God values women. In your husband's eyes, you're the most significant person in that home. In your kid's eyes, your mom. Your mom. And that's a special place. I still think this is beauty. I don't think there's anything on the face of the earth that's more beautiful than that right there a mom with her children and that's how God set it up hey all you kids you make sure you make this a special day for your mom get it good father thanks for moms they play such a huge role in redemptive history, but they also play such a humongous role in our lives. And I thank you today for every mom that's here in church this morning. Pray it'd be a great day for them. Pray, first of all, they'd understand that in your eyes they're extremely significant because you've entrusted them with people to nurture, to care for, and to disciple. 
bless these moms today. Take care of them and make it a great day for them, not just today, but every day we pray. God, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, they really don't know the truth of what it means to be a Christian, to have their sins forgiven, and to have a rescuer who takes care of their sin. I pray that you'd show them their need, that the Spirit of God would just work in their heart to bring them to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.